Hello, this is Mark Lieberman, the host of The World According to Mark. My guest today is a professor at Florida Atlantic University, and she has a lot of other background and experience, which we'll get into, but I first want to thank Polina Primaskova for being on the show today. My pleasure. Polina, you were on the show back in April of 2021, and we were talking primarily about Belarus, um, which is your native country. And we talked about um, what happened in 2020 in Belarus. And we want to talk a little bit more about that or talk about that again today, just to bring our listeners who didn't have the uh, luxury of listening to that to find out again more about Belarus. But we're talking again today also because the things that are happening uh, in Ukraine, the Russian invasion and the efforts of Ukraine to repel the Russian invasion uh, bring up a lot of issues that I think you would say are reminiscent or similar with some key distinctions. And I thought your insight would be very, very valuable. So again, thank you for uh, being on the show. And uh, again, I want to um, you know, talk a little bit or have you introduce a little bit about how you got to Florida Atlantic University. You're in the, you're an associate professor in the School of Public Administration. I'm looking to my side here. Um, you also have a title uh, of secretary of RADA, which I think I'm pronouncing correct, which is the government in exile of Belarus. But why don't you tell us about how you got to Florida Atlantic University and also uh, your affiliation with another uh, um, institute called the Public Justice and Human Rights um, Program, I guess would be correct. Right, Peace, Justice and Human Rights Center which is a center across the university. Uh, yeah, thank you, Mark, again, for inviting me this time around. So uh, yeah, briefly, how I end up uh, being a Florida Atlantic, I am um, the citizen of Belarus, and um, I got my PhD in, in Miami, Florida International University, related to public affairs, and all my research have been on my home country in Belarus, and I'm patiently waiting for opportunity to go back and work at home. Um, fortunately, uh, this has been stretched long in time. So meanwhile, I'm working proudly, proudly working at Florida Atlantic University uh, in the public administration program. And as you probably mentioned, I also affiliate um, recently of Peace, Justice, and Human Rights Center, uh, which has um, a lot of uh, research uh, and public rela relations uh, related activities uh, with uh, human rights and injustice in the United States, but also abroad. Okay. So I thought it might be useful just to give a brief history lesson of uh, the country of Belarus, um, which many people may not know very much about. It's not a large country, but it's not a small country either. Uh, it has um, 9.3 million people and possibly more uh, from the time that census was taken. Um, it occupies about 80,000 square miles, and it's actually uh, considered to be the 13th largest and 20th most populous country in Europe. So it's not a small country, but uh, it has gone through um, a very 
tumultuous, I guess is the word, history, going way back even before uh, the Soviet Union and possibly even predate, possibly even back before Russia was clearly Russia. So can you take us through a little bit of history leading up to the current state of affairs in that country? Right. It was one of the policies starting from Russian Empire to USSR. So what's going on right now is actually to hide our country very well from all of you people from outside. So it's a strong influence of Russia indeed. But we've been an independent separate country for centuries. Uh, we have been baptized uh, by uh, Icelandish missionaries that get a permission from Constantinople to bring Christianity to our land. So we had a lot of context in tra traditional historical and governmental contracts, uh, con contacts with uh, Scandinavia. Uh, we had our uh, king elected uh, or invited from Scandinavia to rule our lands at some point in the history. So, uh, but indeed, um, for people from the West, we've been often uh, associated either with a part of Russia or with a part of Polish, uh, who are kind of rebellious and don't want to become Catholic because uh, traditionally, um, as explained, the, the, the way they brought the Christianity was then Protestants. Uh, and um, of course, whoever was occupying us at different times was trying to make us Catholics, was trying to make us Orthodox. So, um, and here's how we kind of disappearing from, from the maps because people from outside always want to join us to something else. Yeah, so that's the brief, brief history as much as I can, but it's a big country for European size. You could think about something like Switzerland in terms of population. The nature is very, very similar. The only difference, we do not have mountains, but all the rest, the vegetation, lakes, the well, way of life uh, uh, is uh, rather similar. But uh, okay. the difference is the level of income, definitely. <laughs> okay. So for geopolitical purposes, I guess it's worth mentioning that Russia, uh, uh, Belarus is landlocked, meaning uh, it doesn't have an ocean. Uh, unlike Ukraine, uh, you have Russia breathing down its neck to the east and the northeast, Ukraine in the south, Poland in the west, and uh, Lithuania and Latvia to the northwest. So uh, as you were suggesting, because of its position, which is sort of a land bridge, you know, that is borders on or cuts across various countries, it's been the subject of um, military invasion, occupation, um, various people in various countries and various groups have, you know, trampled all over it, trying to establish, um, you know, some degree of permanence. Um, and then if I just sort of jump again, if I've said something wrong, please correct me. But if I jump quickly to uh, the establishment of um, the Soviet Union, uh, well, even prior to the Soviet Union, we had the Russian Revolution in 1917. And there, obviously, Belarus was ultimately part of the, the, that Russian Empire, although... There that was, was not. That was, was not. not. Okay, <laughs> yeah. it was not. Originally, okay. it was not. Yeah. Originally, right. it was not, but people were welcoming this uh, movement because they finally were hoping that there will be the end of Russian Empire with a tar on top of them. So okay. the, the lines of promise that were coming from Lenin was actually that there's going to be a union of independent states and that okay. Belarus will be an equal participant uh, in uh, the union 
uh, which of course, otherwise, uh, after soon after turned out into the classic Moscow rules at all a scenario, and Belarusian government had to live in exile. Um, to and, exist, and, right? Yeah. Right, and thank you for correcting me, but I guess just before that, there was the Polish-Soviet war in which almost half of Belarus's territory was ceded to Poland. Is that okay? Correct, yeah. So modern Belarus, I think, came into being around 1939, um, around the time of World War II. Is that more or less? I, I would go back the Soviet Revolution. That's the one we, we happened. Uh, the Belarusian uh, Democratic Republic was announced um, soon after the, the revolution. So uh, the rest was, again, dividing and trying to establish the, the rule over either Polish or Soviet, making deals with Polish and uh, so on. So it, 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 it is at least two decades before um, the, the Second World War. Yeah. Okay. In as as early as 1945, um, Belarus SSR, which I guess you'll explain what that means, became a founding member of the United Nations along with the Soviet Union, and um, and then it, by 1990, the republic proclaimed its sovereignty. So again, help us get through that so we can get up to sort of right. modern day. Yeah, I guess it also explains a lot what's going on right now in uh, Belarus and Russia relationships. So as much as Russia always had an ambition, and again, maybe we should say the rulers of Russia, not to generalize with people, because um, it's not same. We know that a lot, a lot of people that understand what's going on exist in Russia as well. Uh, so uh, when uh, Russian rulers were trying to establish uh, uh, their power over territory of Belarus, they also would understood as much as I think they understand today that having a puppet ally makes more sense for international law uh, than have an occupied territory. Because what, if Belarus is a Soviet country, but it is independent or is a free within the union, it has its vote in the United Nations, right? It has its power in the United Nations. You probably mentioned we're one of those who started the United Nations. Uh, we're one of those who signed the um, genocide convention uh, as a separate member um, and, and so on and so on. So uh, that, that, that's been always the, the, the tricky part is how much uh, rulers in Moscow, St. Petersburg would like us to be uh, fully part or uh, just best friends forever, right? So again, to, to my sense of what you're saying, just to further explain, um, uh, Belarus, has proclaimed itself and continues to operate as if it is independent, but with the installation of a very controversial figure, Alexander Lukashenko, um, it is not really acting in any way, shape or form as a democracy. It is an authoritarian government that takes a lot of instructions and orders from Russia, not the Soviet Union, but Russia, and it sort of operates in kind of a quasi-satellite position, even though, quote, the Soviet Union, you know, fell supposedly, but, but Russia still exercises domination through this partnership and the installation of Alexander Lukashenko. Would you agree with that? 
uh, to a certain extent, I think what you're describing is what has been happening uh, during the past several years after the fake elections of 2020. Uh, right before that, uh, uh, we actually had some sort of a screen, if I might say, uh, because there were more and more relations established with West that were trying to democratize us in a softer way, uh, doing more business with us. At some point, actually, the, the, the main trade partner was the Netherlands with our country, not Russia, even though Russia, of course, would occupy the large portion of our budget. But uh, so that was sort of a, uh, an idea, uh, like Lukashenko, Alexander Lukashenko, who is the current uh, junta leader of the country, uh, with all the military supporting him. He has his ego of being the star of his own piece of land, right? So by no means he is a guy who uh, was sent by Putin, but uh, uh, of course, in the situation he ended up in right now when his own population, and it was confirmed by the mass protest in 2020, when there were hundreds of thousands of people on the street saying, that's the end, we don't want this president anymore, because this president, the first president since 1994, right? So this person never moved out of the office. And even though before, let's say, he was supported by some sort of passive population saying, oh, okay, but we're not interested in politics. Yeah, something is very wrong going on there, but we don't want to get into that. Like in 2020, uh, people understood that it's time to get involved. Um, and, and that's when Lukashenko became even more dependent on, on, on Russia and to stay in power, which he is staying right now uh, only uh, using the the force. Okay. So something that you said, um, Polina, I think is instructive about Ukraine, which is uh, Alexander Lukashenko um, came into power um, after a brief period in which Belarus was um, being courted, shall we say, by Western countries. And you mentioned one in particular, but they were trying to develop cordial economic relationships, at least with the West. And um, is it fair to say that that was considered to be threatening to Russia and therefore they inserted their finger or their fist into the politics, which led ultimately to Lukashenko being installed. And even though it still considers itself, in, the government still considers itself independent, has fallen in line for the most part, with what Russia's foreign politics are and, and even some of its domestic politics. Does that ring true in any sense? Uh, yeah, but the way I see it is that uh, actually in the 90s, there would be, I think, even more Americans who would know where Belarus is. Because after the fall of the Soviet Union, we end up having a lot of nuclear weapons on our territory, right? The same happened to Ukraine. And what happened actually in the 90s, when the Soviet Union decided to fall apart, uh, which actually happened in the Lavieja Forest, which is in Belarus, where they signed the papers to dissolve the Soviet Union, uh, we end up having all the nuclear weapons, same Ukrainians, but the button to operate them ended up being in Moscow. So basically we had the nuclear weapons without a, any ability to control them. And of course, it was very dangerous for the entire planet. So all eyes were on us and on our region, and especially for Americans. And there was a lot of programs uh, that um, include the American government uh, to help uh, us stop being a nuclear uh, power country uh, and a nuclear weapon country. And the same with Ukraine. And we end up having a lot of international treaties signed up 
uh, that would uh, claim our neutrality because we said, okay, we can give in all these nuclear weapons. We don't know what to do with them, but we want to have some protection of the West knowing that now that we don't have this on our territory, nobody's going to come and occupy it. So, and, let me ask you, just to be clear, are you saying that um, there were nuclear weapons in Belarus, but there now are not, and that as part of uh, an effort to try to um, court and be accepted by the West, that Belarus gave them up and they're no longer sitting in Belarus? Absolutely. It was, yeah. It okay. uh, was, uh, uh, let me say it in correct English, I'll uh, just double check, and it was called the Budapest Memorandum on Security Assurances. Okay. And there were people who signed it, Belarus, Kazakhstan, Ukraine, and they signed a treaty of non-proliferation of nuclear weapons. And the memorandum was originally signed by three nuclear powers, by Russian Federation, United Kingdom, and the United States. And it was actually with the help of uh, Americans that these nuclear um, weapons were removed from our country and happily resold to Russia, but this is another story. Uh, but we became a neutral country, and in our right. constitution in the 90s, it clearly says that we're a neutral country, that we know that west to east, we live ourselves, and we try to get the non-conflict whatsoever. Okay. And look what happened literally uh, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, uh, with all the pressure of Putin as well. We had the famous fake referendum uh, that took place in our country in Belarus a little a couple of weeks ago, uh, again, forced by uh, Putin, uh, that we just changed our constitution. I mean, we they changed constitution saying that we are not neutral party anymore. Okay, so they're saying you're not neutral, which means in effect that Russia is saying that you're aligned with Russia. But the other point that you're making that I think our listeners would uh, like to hear you say is more clear than I have been able to say it is you gave up the missiles much in the same way as Ukraine gave up the missiles in exchange for a hopeful, respected neutrality and which would hopefully make you safe from either side. But now I'm guessing it's, a, it's unclear whether or not Belarus made the wrong choice. Some Ukrainians are saying we should never have given up our missiles because had we kept them, we might've been able to deter Putin from being so aggressive and threatening the Soviet, excuse me, the Russian arsenal of nuclear weapons. Now that's a mouthful. Is there, can you, can you weigh in on, on what I just said? But before you answer, let me give you a second to collect your thoughts. I am talking with Polina Pirsmakova, who is the associate professor at the School of Public Administration at Florida Atlantic University. And we're talking about some of the history of Belarus which resonates with some of the history of Ukraine. And we're seeing played out in real time, so to speak, some things that Belarus um, had anticipated or some people in Belarus had anticipated and which has got to create sort of a nightmare scenario for you. So in any event, back to the question, if you want me to repeat it, I'll try to remember exactly what I asked you. But it has yeah. to do with the give up of the nuclear missiles. Uh, absolutely, yeah. So the, the give up of nuclear mass, uh, missiles in, uh, in the 90s, that's, we see the consequences of today. That's the result. So if something 
again, those who have not been following the world politics, have not been following Eastern European politics, because there's a lot of other hot places in the world and I completely understand them. But right now, especially with a nuclear threat that Putin and his junta try to, uh, to proclaim, right, or popularize, and the panic they try to create, it all roots back in the 90s in this, what is called Budapest Memorandum, when uh, we were forced and welcomed by both the United States and Russia to give up our, um, our, our, our power to self-defend, let's say, uh, or to give up our voice, because even if we don't know how to operate, but having this stuff on our territories, on our land, will make world leaders ask our opinion, correct? And as soon as, and we had the Clinton coming to Belarus and a lot of things were going on. Why the population itself, let's say it's compared to Ukraine, but why the population in Belarus itself were very actually happy to get rid of the nuclear weapons was the, 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 the Chernobyl that happened literally uh, five, six, seven years before of signing this memorandum. So Chernobyl physically is located in Ukraine, but it's close enough to the border. And when the explosion of the reactor happened, all the nuclear uh, pollution with the rain ended up on Belarus mostly. So we still have a territory, a large portion of territory actually where the troops are in now that has been closed territory. People were moved out uh, from their inhabitants and so on because it still has a very high level of pollution. We are talking about 30 years later. So people having relatives, friends and so on suffering from uh, a lot of cancer, child cancer on a huge scale, right? Uh, all of a sudden in the country, they were very scared of having, having anything else that has to be with nuclear I'm losing right? you for a well, second got... see if we can get your sound back okay do you have go, me now? go ahead yeah do you have me now something's yeah. a miss do you have me now no we're experiencing a technical difficulty um All can right. you hear me yeah i do okay um you were talking about the the, the loss of um nuclear weapons and then, then you were talking about the fact that Ukraine, uh, excuse me, Belarus, much of the population were okay with giving it up because you saw the toxic effects of a reactor, which is for peaceful purposes, but a reactor that exploded because it was not properly maintained, possibly not pro properly built. So if you can hear me, I would like you to ask you this question. Does Belarus presently have any nuclear reactors that is actually in its territory for power purposes? Do you hear me now? I do. All right, great. That's an excellent question. Uh, actually, with the help of Rosatom, which is Russian Atomic Society Corporation, you name it, uh, we got, against all the will of Belarusian population, a nuclear power station built uh, just recently on the border of Lithuania. So it's physically on the territory of Belarus. And it has not launched until uh, the fake elections in 2020. So it has not been operated. It has been built by, by Russian Federation agents, but it has not been an operation. And as soon as Lukashenko comes from his sixth uh, term, he, he launched the station. And as we know, uh, it's dangerous. And the most uh, important danger, let's say, even if there's no war and everything's nice and peaceful, is that he himself and us being a landlocked small country in the middle of Europe, we have nowhere to do with the nuclear waste. Nowhere, nowhere to put it, nowhere to put it. 
as not, yeah, we are not we are not in luxury of Russia that we can have somewhere Kamchatka, Yakutsk, whatever, somewhere in the middle of the world to put a container somewhere and bury it, or I don't know how Swiss doing it somewhere deep in the mountain. We have nowhere to dispose, and the nuclear station is pro producing a nuclear waste every second and operates. And so far, it, it was even some threats from the president saying when the there's a lot of sanctions recently imposed on Belarus, but there was even moments when the president was saying that he can use it against people who put sanctions on him, which we call a dirty nuclear weapon because it's not a real weapon, right? But it's still a nuclear waste. And knowing these guys in power, these people in power, they, they can do whatever they would like uh, having the, the, the nuclear waste in their hands. And we're so talking about the country physically located in the middle of Europe. Right, so Belarus is not exactly in a, an ideal space, both politically, as you're in discussing, geographically. It's right in the thick of things. And now, uh, Belarus obviously is not affiliated with NATO, but there are neighboring countries that are. Um, but I want to, I, I guess, I want to make clear again to the to the audience that. When you say fake election, you're speaking in part of your own opinion. The government in exile presumably uh, believes that as well. But I think you're also saying that a large part of the Belarus population believes that. And yet you're in effect stuck with this leader who presumably, was he not popularly elected? Was it a quote, rigged election and how and and what is his term is he someone who can stay in power perpetually it would appear just like putin thinks he can stay in power perpetually uh, yeah uh, it's not my opinion it's a fact and the fact for several reasons i myself was personally back home going to election poll and there was a big campaign which Actually, IT technologies allow us to do this time around, which was not, has not been possible before in previous rounds. People, most of the people are already equipped with the cell phones, with the smartphones. Uh, they've been taking pictures of their own uh, ballots and uploading them in the cloud afterwards. And we have a database of millions of votes uh, showing whom people gave their vote to. So it's not even an idea or guessing. I mean, this is a fact because this fact cannot be given or any confirmation cannot be given by the central election uh, authority in Belarus, but us regular people have access to the database of all the election uh, ballots of people uh, who voted alternatively. Uh, so there's no doubt about that, that, that the president was not elected by majority of population. There's no question about that. But uh, I think the second part was about the... Uh, well, let me ask you a follow-up on, on that. Is there a new election in the offing? Is one supposed to occur at some point so that there's a possibility that a more popularly elected leader could come up or perhaps even the installation of the government in exile? Or is that not something that you see is on the horizon? Uh, again, well, just three weeks ago, uh we got a new uh, constitution imposed on the population of Belarus. And it's still not exactly clear how it's gonna function, but apparently this constitution removes some powers from the president and gives it to some newly body that we still have to create, some national sort of assembly, new type, because we already have a national assembly. 
about the president becomes like a head of this national assembly till forever. So it's very complicated, but the idea is that uh, even though this person is in, claims to be in his sixth, know, sixth term already, but he, with a new constitution, he can be another 15 years in power. It just in the matter of changing the titles or changing the name of the cabinet. So for all intents and purposes, you have a dictator in power, not popularly elected, came into power as a result of a, quote, rigged election to use terms that have been bandied about in this country. And it's in a precarious situation. And just to give a little extra um, information about the precariousness of it, again, I want to talk a little bit about the reaction uh, or, or what's been talked about as far as the Belarusian response to the conflict in Ukraine. But let me again announce to my listeners that we're speaking to Professor Polina Perskova, who is the Associate Professor at the School of Public Administration at Florida Atlantic University. And we're talking about her under, deep understanding of the situation in Belarus, the unfortunate situation. And now I'd like to direct a couple of questions to you um, regarding the conflict. First of all, that there was news, whether it's true, false, or whatever, that Belarus as a country had come out in support of the Russian invasion of the Ukraine. And while there, I think, were sanctions already in place against Lukashenko and the country of Belarus, that created an opportunity for new sanctions both by the EU and possibly by the United States, but imposing um, more pressure, but probably more pain on the population of Belarus. Can you explain that a little bit more uh, clearly than than I I just quickly went over it? Right, so I just want to, uh, again, give a little uh, background on the current situation because he called the person dictator. I as being as a scientist, so um, professor of public administration, we try to use uh, more neutral um, definitions of different positions and call it more like centralized power and so on and so on. So, so that anybody can make their own opinion or how would they call a ruler like this? But as for now, since the elections, last elections, which he claimed he won with, 60, 70 plus percent of votes. We have more than 10 people killed who are trying to protest. We have more than 40,000 arrests, 40,000 arrests. We're talking about 8 million countries, right? 9 9 million countries. We have, as for now, 1,300 people serving political sentences, political charges in prison, 1,300. We have 33 imprisoned journalists. We have politically motivated charges in protest, 5,000 charges, and more than 5,000 reports of torture. Because it's not only the political catch-up that people who are protesting, there's physical torture reports, also from sexual assault to not giving food and water. So we're talking about like, you know, so you can call it whatever terminology um, uh, you like or the listeners would like, but that's the current junta um, regime occupying the country uh, so whenever, I, and that's my role here also, uh, being the secretary of RADA, to explain and to ask, please, please ask everybody who is listening to us right now, 
not to say Belarus, not to say Russia, but to say Putin and to say Lukashenko, because this is what we've seen right now going on in Ukraine. This is not a nation against nation war. It's not a Belarusian nation supporting a Russian nation in the invasion of Ukraine, God forbid. It is a Putin invasion of Ukraine in cooperation with Lukashenko Junta, who holds the territory. The only difference because of the misfortunate situation of Lukashenko losing his power, losing his popular support, the tanks that are currently in Belarus were just rolled in. From Ukraine, Russia. Yes, so Ukraine resists, but we got occupied just before. And that's what I, again, going back to this fake referendum that took place, which is proper way is a plebiscite because in not free countries, there is no way to do any referendums, right? It's a plebiscite. The people were made to elect something or choose something, but the choice was already known, right? So they made this referendum when they removed the word of being military neutral, allowed Belarus or Lukashenko to proclaim Belarus part of this conflict, but it's not Belarusian people who are interested in this conflict. They have mass protests against it. Those people who still can protest, because again, I just announced the numbers of people being in prison or being political char politically charged. So I would like just to ask everybody, call uh, those responsible by their names, not hiding by the big titles of, oh, Belarus, oh, Russia, and so on. Let's, let's just be focused on those who are guilty and call them their full names. Okay, fair point. So we don't have to resort to terms like autocrat or dictator. What you're saying is it's not the people per se, it's the leadership. But of course, um, the leadership, the junta, as you refer to it, in Belarus, um, obviously also has control of the military. And now may, it may be the case that um, the involvement in the Ukraine um, invasion, so to speak, is not being directed by uh, anybody in particular in, in Belarus, or it could be that Lukashenko is still has power over a Belarusian uh, military and maybe Belarus, maybe he's willing to commit troops or maybe he has already to the, to the invasion of Ukraine. What's your understanding of that? Uh, yeah, that's a very fair question. Of course, uh, according to the legal, legal documents we have, which again, there is, as, again, as Lukashenko, the site of him, it's, it, it, it's too difficult to apply rules right now. So, uh, uh, so legally, he is the commander in chief, right? So he is the main military person in the country and all the military should obey uh, his orders. Uh, so um, he used this to uh, suppress the protests within the country. So no matter how much the military was uh, resisting, but it's known fact that a lot of army people were forced to uh, participate in internal domestic war against their own people. And as we know, most of them did not like it because that's not the purpose of the army. Army is here to protect its people from outside threats, not to, to suppress them within the country. But having said that, so let's say the support or not support of the army and Lukashenko has been already in a question for what, good two years, right? Uh, and a lot of people uh, got fired and a lot of people got resigned themselves because they did not want to be part of the uh, junta orders and, um, and take responsibility for that. But definitely 
there's still a lot of people in the army and uh, also what needs to be understood we still have this mandatory uh military service for all the males so uh we have a lot of young boys on the military bases right now just doing their uh service uh so of course whenever the war in ukraine started that was the main concern of, of again those people who let's say are less concerned about politics just trying to find their sons start calling the military bases asking is my boy sent to the war? So, so far the official wording is that Belarus is not sending the soldiers, uh, neither those on, on duty, but also those who are, who are on the contract, right, to, uh, to Russia. But also there's a lot of discussion going on that uh, knowing the, the losses of the Russian army and then urgent need in more people, that it's, it's highly possible that the Belarusians, Belarusian recruiters would be dressed up in the Russian military uh, uniform uh, to, to, to be sent to the war. So I know that you're not exactly um, in touch with the intelligence operations around the world, but you're saying your understanding is that um, military conscripts, people in Belarus could be forced into a situation where they're fighting on behalf of Russians uh, and the, and in favor or, or in support of the invasion. But to your knowledge, that hasn't occurred yet, but that doesn't mean it couldn't occur. Is that what you're saying? Uh, officially it has not, yes. But also uh, I would like to say the other way around things occurred. We have a divisions of Belarusians volunteers who are fighting in Ukraine and they've been fighting also with the war Donetsk and Lugansk. So again, for those people who were just happened uh, a couple of weeks ago, Belarusian population and Belarusian men have been involved in this war on the side of Ukraine already for sooner sooner decades, right? So just as just us, as just as we've heard that members that that citizens of Poland have signed up and from other countries they've sent contingents to come in support of the, the Ukrainians. That's what you're saying, correct? Uh, uh, even more. That, that's, sorry, that's what they're saying is right now to respond to the current attack. But when I'm saying that the Belarusian people who are volunteering, the Russian men who've been volunteering uh, to fight on the side of Ukrainians uh, have been uh, present even during the war in Donetsk and Lugansk. Okay, the, the war that broke out earlier, I got you, I understand. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you've indicated quite clearly that, again, you've got um, a situation where you have an illegitimate, um, shall we say, leader of Belarus, but you have a population that's diverse with a substantial portion of the Belarusian population against uh, what Russia has done, is doing, might do. Is there, and you've also indicated that people that have been in a position of speaking out or telling the truth, such as journalists, are, potent, are, are subject to torture, to death, censorship, imprisonment, things of that nature. So with that uh, level of, of, of draconian measures being employed, is there still anything resembling mass protests? Has there been mass protests since the invasion uh, of Ukraine by Russia in Belarus with Belarusians vocally supporting um, the Ukraines and vocally opposing the Russian invasion. 
to the certain extent as much as they can do in a, in a military occupied territory with the Russian tanks under your window, right? So of course we cannot expect people having the protests of the scale they've been in 2020. It's not safe to be on the street, not talking about providing your opinion, right? But of course there were people, especially a lot of people use this situation of fake referendum, this plebiscite to actually group together to, to express their opinion um, and so on and so on. Of course there is the action, actions of solidarity going on, especially more abroad right now, because besides all this million of Ukrainians that are uh, immigrating right now on humanitarian, uh, asylum seeking purpose, uh, fleeing the country, um, same, but on a small extent happened to Belarusians just because we're a small country. And of course we did not have that level of terror before. So there is a lot going on outside of the country right now, but also, which is very unfortunate and it should not, again, it's, how, it's in our hands to change it. There has been more and more reports of Belarusians being attacked abroad because the general population does not understand what's going on and for the equalized Belarusians with Russians. When you so say Belarusian, Belarus has been attacked abroad, yeah. you, you mean by the imposition of sanctions or no, other physical, physical, ah. physical aggression, physical aggression, let's say. Some Polish population, some Polish people would see a Belarusian car on this Belarusian place and they will attack the car because for them, again, people who have not been in the world of politics don't understand the complexity behind that. And all the media saying, oh, Belarus participates with Russian invasion of Ukraine. People do not go into detail. And it's our work here, our mission to explain it's not Belarus, it's Lukashenko, it's not Russia, it's Putin. Uh, because the, the general aggression of the population outside for whom the conflict is a newborn thing is just happen, happen thing. They have not been following for the last 10 years. They equalize everybody in the same story. They're Ukrainians and the rest of Russians right now in the world, not understanding that those Belarusians who are outside, that's why they're outside, because they had to flee on the same reason why the Russian tanks came into our country, but the difference were not able to resist to the extent the Ukrainians came. I see. So in effect the Belarusians are getting attacked from both ends, so to speak. Um, yeah. It's not, uh, it's, 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 and, and that one can conclude is either the purpose or the effect when seeds of lies, misinformation, distortions are afoot, then, and you, and you have a precious lack of free speech and independent journalists, that, that's the sort of thing that, that results. You have, people coming to conclusions based upon, I don't like to use the word fake news, but based upon deliberate misinformation, lies and distortions. And that's the situation that you say many Belarusians are exposed to, even those that are not residing in Belarus, if they're residing in, in Poland, um, where they've, the Polish government, I guess, would, could, is showing active support for, for the Ukraines, but that, that doesn't help a poor Belarusian who happens to be over there, who's called out as being a supporter of, of the Russian invasion, even when that person is not. That's the point you're trying to make, correct? Even when the entire nation is not, yes. So it's okay. not the person versus the country, it's the person who is called Lukashenko versus the country. And uh, we're not talking about the Belarus where there is no media whatsoever left at this moment. No NGO left at this moment. Uh, we're talking about actually the, uh, the world who has freedom of speech, 
that's what I'm talking to about. Uh, that's what I'm calling on. Those people who have the freedom of speech, this nation who have the freedom of speech to be a little bit deeper in the conflict. They understand that there is a, there's a situation created by several people who got in power as against of, I don't know, even if I may, I'm not specialist in wars and comparative analysis of this scale, but it's compared to the world of the Second World War when there were nations upset with nations for some measures, right? So maybe that is where it leads, but at a particular moment, we need to be very clearly holding this line here in the Western hemisphere, right? In the, what they call world of North, so that there is Belarus, there is Lukashenko, there is Russia, and there is Putin. And how many people in Russia who don't even speak Russian? And they also right now all equalize to one thing, to be one all the same thing that attacks Ukraine. And it's not correct. Okay. So I want to ask you another question then. Um, what, you're, what you're indicating, among other things, is there are parallels in some respects about what's going on in Ukraine now and what has gone on in Belarus um, since the installation of Levkoshenko. But one could argue that, um, that Russia uh, achieved what it was looking for in Belarus without having to start a war, without having to roll tanks in, without having to send troops in, without having to shell cities and 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 missiles and and all of that um, because uh, it was more. I won't say that this is necessarily accurate, accurate, but almost like a bloodless coup, so to speak. Whereas in Ukraine, because of the resistance that Ukraine has had and maybe the support from other countries around the world, even though they have not actually engaged in troops on the ground or boots on the ground, I guess is the phrase. What's, what's happening in Ukraine is, 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 is different, very different from what happened in Belarus, but maybe for the same ultimate objective. What's your thoughts about that? Uh, yeah, these things we're making parallel. That's a very, um, very, very, very reasonable um, way and point here to actually look at the, what you call leadership, which I, I would say rulership, uh, especially in case of Belarus. So please understand that Lukashenko and Putin are not best friends. They mm -hmm. hate each other and they've been disturbing each other and they've been doing things that each other don't like for a long, long extended period of time. They just have to be on the same sort of side at this particular moment. And that'll be the difference between Belarus and Ukraine. That Ukraine, no matter what's going on in the country, I'm looking at corruption levels, but they have a president that people elected. Whether they're happy about this president, whether they're not happy about this president and all other presidents before, they have elected this person. And this person openly says and leads the nation against the aggressor. Whereas in Belarus, the person in charge, not supported by the population, claims a friendship with Russia. But you're saying despite the claiming of the friendship, uh, the leader of the country and Putin are not close close friends they don't they 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 they're friends from a distance is what i'm hearing you say which is pretty extraordinary right he's cornered he's cornered because he lost at least before he had some sort of popular support even if it was minority but he had it and now he's cornered so he's lost uh resort 
to stay in power, I'm talking about Lukashenko right now, is to do what Putin wants at the moment, whether Lukashenko wants it or not. And we've been doing the military training, as they say, military exercises of Russian troops and Belarusian troops, like forever. Even more, they were all starting getting involved Serbian troops there and we had a lot of military exercises, including Serbians together with a big brotherhood of Slavic nations or what they call it. And here's respect and great thank you to the Serbian nation who actually stopped any military training with Belarus as soon as the fake election in 2020. They withdrew from all the training and any military activity together, even let's call it practice, right, or exercise. But the Russian troops doing exercise on territory of Belarus became more frequent, more frequent, and more frequent to the extent as soon as the referendum was over, oh, we're not doing exercise anymore. We're just here to shoot, to shoot Ukraine, right? So it was not like, okay, now we're not neutral. Okay, now we allow Russians to come. Russians were already in the country. We just changed the rhetoric, even to the last moment. And we Belarusians and we also, the people uh, who are in the Rada of Belarusian uh, Democratic Republic, we've been observing this accumulation of military power on the border of Ukraine and Belarusian side already also not just from yesterday, right? It, it, it happened and we've seen it and it's coming. And it was just for us, let's say, it was a matter when the shoot, it will start, they will start shooting because not it's how, obvious. Not if, rather, but when. And, and, when exactly. and, and some people would say that, that Putin has planned this for years and that he didn't do it well I'm not sure if this is the reason, but while Trump was in power because he didn't really have to, but he was biding his time, so to speak, and waiting for what he thought was the most opportune time to do this. With all my respect for the American nation and American presidents, we definitely have enormous power in the world of politics and international way of order. But I think that actually the misunderstanding and arrangements with Lukashenko played more important role uh, because uh, Lukashenko has not been, um, again, they're not best friends. Uh, uh, the, Putin wanted to remove Lukashenko, to put somebody more loyal. Uh, and th- the whole thing around the elections in Belarus and the protests and the time it took to suppress the protests, I, protest, I think that's what has been holding Putin uh, from actually... Uh, achieving what he's doing today. Because if he would do all the same with all the military in the country right now, two years ago, when hundreds of thousands of people were in the streets, they would just move these tanks upside down. It took time to suppress Belarusian population, to let people immigrate, which immigrate on a large scale and keep on trying to flee the country. So that safely right now, only those are left in the country who are really gonna sit in their basement, no matter what, so the tanks can roll in. My guest again is Associate Professor Polina Prismakova, who is a professor in the School of Public Administration uh, at Florida Atlantic University, and also um, a secretary of the government in exile of Belarus. Um, And we're talking about some of the same things that occurred in uh, Belarus that we're now seeing played out in Ukraine, but there are some distinct differences. So many people are asking the question, how does, quote, this all end? Um, And when they say that, I guess in some respects they're saying, how does it end in Ukraine? But what happens in Ukraine affects many other countries, including Belarus and and as as well as the West. But the question of how it ends, I guess, is, again, subject to 
a lot of uncertainty and speculation. But what could happen, I guess, one scenario is that at some point, Ukraine is either gives up or left, or or Zelensky um, uh, loses power, uh, God forbid, loses his life, and Russia not wanting to be tied down on the ground with another Afghanistan or a long war might pull out, but only again if a more pro-Russian government can be installed. What's your thought about this, if you have an opinion about it? I think if it would be, let's say, this, this discussion, and we had it like a 10, 15 years ago, the prediction would be absolutely different from all, as of today. But from my understanding of the situation, of my understanding, talking to people in Ukraine, talking to my relatives in Ukraine, talking to my relatives in Russia, because again, we have, we have been very much, and on purpose, interconnected and interrelated with all these three countries by the Soviets and these connections and family here, back and there and so on has not disappeared just because right now is the war. By the way, there's a big monument, which is called Three Sisters on the crossing where the, the point where Belarus, Ukraine and, and Russia uh, border. Intersect. Mm -hmm. Yeah, intersect. So uh, whatever uh, differences in opinion in Ukraine or their affiliation or their respect, nostalgia about Russia, people used to have, I think none of that is left anymore. So despite of trying to at least on the words, liberate Ukraine from nationalists and give more power and freedom to those Russian speaking, Russian, I don't know how to say, uh, politically correct, uh, pro-Russian population, after these people have been sitting in, uh, in the bomb shelters, they united as never. And it's not the matter of which language you speak right now, right? It's not the matter of, uh, of, 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 of uh, let's say, their ethnical identity, but their national identity, which definitely became rather clear and stronger right now. So any uh, alluring ideas that Putin can put somebody pro-Russian in power right now, I think we could have we could have had this conversation uh, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 years ago. But in the moment, I think it's not possible. No matter what super liberal pro-Russian uh, government. So, so just because somebody will not take it. Right. Just because somebody speaks Russian doesn't mean they're pro the pro-Russian or pro-Russian takeover. So so do you see this as a long protracted slog where the Ukrainians will continue to have resistance? Or do you see, again, I know you're not a military specialist, or do you see that eventually Russia might figure out some way to not lose face completely and pull out and leave Ukraine uh, as, a, as a sovereign nation? Do you see that? any hope for that? Again, we would say Putin, not Russia, because I'm Russia sorry. Is not I'm sorry. Putin, Putin. Putin. Yes. <laughs> right. So uh, again, I'm not a specialist, as you correctly mentioned, but I understand international law, and I have a background in international law and educational one. So what I, I see, it, let's say again, we're speculating here, as you said, nobody can predict the future. But the whole demand of Putin uh, that Crimea it belongs to Russia, that Donbass and Lugansk belongs to Russia. With, before this invasion, the whole world would say, no, wait a second. 
But when we deal with the real war, with humanitarian catastrophe that is unrolling right now, if there will be any sort of reasonable negotiation, I think more people are not talking about Ukraine. I'm talking from nation outside will be prone to say, okay, let's Crimea be, be, be Russian and whatever other pieces, but the rest, at least we save the rest. Again, please don't quote me on this, but it, for, we're discussing here again, we try to run different scenarios. So this might've been one of the scenario that Putin is pursuing to make a big mess that nobody has a doubt anymore. Okay, this thing does not belong to him, but at least we stop the humanitarian catastrophe. We stop the real war with civilians dying and, and stuff like this. So that might be one of the outcomes. Do you have an opinion personal or, or otherwise about what the so-called West can do that it's not presently doing what should it be its place? Obviously, we've both heard the United States and the EU doesn't want to get directly involved because they don't want to start World War III. But one could argue that World War III has already started. Uh, that's true. And now uh, we're going back to the 90s and we're going back to Budapest Memorandum on security assurances. So if the West does not want to involve with Russia in any sort of military confrontation, why this memorandum has been signed for him. This memorandum is exactly stating that Russia in UK and the United States allow Belarus and Ukraine be neutral countries. And if now one of the party violates this memorandum, why are not they supposed to feed back? You know, that's that, the that's uh, question. So I'm not sure, yeah, go ahead. We just have a minute, less than a minute left, but I think you've now capped one of the most important points that people are missing. It, the United States could get involved without having to call upon NATO because of the Budapest resolutions. And there's plenty of precedent for it to do that. But practically, we don't know whether that's going to happen because of issues beyond both of our controls. But I think that's going to have to be the last word, Helena, unless you've got one more thing you want to throw in and then we'll sign off. But thank, thanks, Polina Prismakova, a professor at uh, Florida Atlantic, for being on the show today. You're very welcome. We'll have you back again and we'll see how this plays out. Thank you. Thank you.